Welcome to a light on podcast. I have Remy Vega with me again for the second second time, I think. So today we're going to talk about uh, a very contentious subject. Religion. Uh, specifically Christianity. Um, one subject that drives people absolutely insane. <laughs> I've gotten I've gotten a lot of uh, a lot of heat for things that I've that I've posted. Um, and, you know, I'm just like I'm just trying to get it, get at the truth, the truth, you know, no matter what what subject it is. And sometimes people don't like that. And I've discovered that uh, there are there are three really big ones, I think, uh, like v- veganism, <laughs> um, religion and uh, what is the cause? germ theory is one of them maybe cosmology yeah three or four big big ones that people really lose their their minds about um and it's so it's been kind of it's been kind of crazy so if you're not uh you know if you're not interested in in a new perspective then feel free to not not listen i guess um although i hope i hope you do i hope you're you're constantly looking for for new and and fresh perspectives and and you know uh trying to get at the truth even if it's not popular uh and oftentimes it's not oftentimes it's it's really unpopular especially when it (laughs) it comes to like christianity and and uh religion so so you studied a lot uh of this stuff remy what's sort of your background uh in in religious religious studies so, uh, yeah, I started like, you know, I was, uh, my, my family. So my, on both sides of my family, uh, my mom's adoptive father and my dad's dad, um, are both Methodist pastors. So I grew up like involved with, you know, uh, Christianity growing up to a certain extent, my parents weren't super involved with it, but as I like reached the end of high school, I got a little bit more, um, interested in it. Um, and I got really into studying the Bible and I was actually like for a certain period of time, at least like spiritually dedicated to Christianity. Um, I wasn't maybe entirely dedicated because I hadn't really read the Bible at that point. But so at that time around age 16, 17, I started taking it more seriously. Um, I had a friend who kind of actually the same friend and I've mentioned him before who, um, who introduced me to the first 9-11 documentary that I ever saw. Um, He started to kind of, you know, make my ears perk up a little bit about like, you know, Christianity and and most specifically about spiritual salvation. So that was kind of what, you know, in a certain sense sparked me to start taking it more seriously. Um, So then I went in into college uh, for the, because I, I didn't graduate, but for the first two years I was, um, which are the only two years that I was in, I was actually studying like philosophy with an emphasis in religion. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for my first year in college, I actually wrote, um, I wrote a, a paper and I received a scholarship from, from uh, the religion department uh, or the philosophy department about um, the, the Jewish roots of, and the Jewish co- um, content or context of the new Testament and, various aspects of it that um without understanding at least like a um a pretty a pretty decent uh jewish cultural and uh jewish ritual 
understanding you can't really fully interpret certain aspects of the new new testament which are sort of lost in modern christianity which then and and as a result of that led me um to understanding kind of like the other half of of the new testament which um is like the the gnostic or the you know early christian perspective that was sort of branching away from the uh, primarily um jewish um orthodox interpretation so that was where it really all started out for me um, a personal interest in, you know, the the idea of spiritual salvation, eschatology, so the end of the world, you know, like all this stuff, that was a big spark for me. So mm-hmm. that was, um, you know, that was the the majority of my time was spent there uh, at the college, um, you know, really digging into a lot of, a lot of, you know, sources that I hadn't had, you know, access to previous to that and had some pretty good offers after writing that paper to get, um, I actually almost got like, um, I was going to get a letter of recommendation to, for the Claremont school of Relig- of theology, which is like one of the, hmm. um, most, you know, uh, it's, it's a really big, you know, uh, uh, school for, for theology and stuff like that. So I, uh, I almost got involved with that. And then I, I kind of switched gears and, um, but that was where it started out for me. And then it, just, it, it got, I, I, I went my own direction with it. So I actually, during those couple years, I got really, really into studying the New Testament, which actually, um, long story short, led me out of um, Orthodox Christianity or literalist Christianity or in general, I, I was like, it, you know, just to summarize it, you know, it led me out of, of believing the, the New Testament. And then I was like, well, it came from the Old Testament. Maybe this is correct. So then I got really devoted to studying Judaism, almost converted, lived in an Orthodox Jewish community for a couple of years and was really involved, um, you know, with reading the Old Testament, the Tanakh, as it's called, or Tanakh with a, a guttural. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that you know, just further, uh, it further contextualized like the entire spiritual tradition for me. So that's kind of like, and, and, you know, and I haven't really stopped studying, you know, the, the traditions themselves. And so from there to now, it's been kind of now putting together all of the different pieces and trying to get a clear understanding, or at the very least, um, understanding that there are certain things that can't be clarified to, you know, to a certain extent. So that's kind of the background with it. That's where, that's where I got introduced in and that was my jumping off point. And you were like, you were reading ancient Hebrew and all, all that kind of stuff too, right? Yeah. So I got like, I, I got pretty, um, pretty decent with reading Hebrew. So I would, so I would go every morning to the, uh, um, to the prayer. Um, so there's three prayer, uh, three times of prayer and I would do all three um, when I was living at the, at the synagogue. Cause I was actually living at a, an apartment complex that was that was owned by the synagogue itself because one of the rules in in um uh jewish law is that if you're if you're um if you're jewish you actually have to be a certain distance from a synagogue because it, walking past a certain distance would qualify as work on the sabbath so wow, like wow. there's like a specific distance that you have to be so like they have a lot of you know that's why jewish communities always are um concentrated uh if they're like orthodox communities because they have to be a certain distance walking distance from um from a synagogue so that they can hear the torah reading they that's to really interesting the, the yeah. first place i lived in in new york actually was a place called midwood brooklyn and it's all orthodox uh, jews and i moved there with my girlfriend at the time and we were the only non-jewish unmarried couple in the in the area um and so they used to ask us to like press the elevator buttons for them every saturday 
because they couldn't, you know, they yeah. couldn't do any kind of technology. Yeah. Um, but I didn't know that about the concentration of the neighborhood. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And um, that's, a, that's a concept called like a Shabbos goy, as they call it, or a Sabbath, <laughs> Sabbath goy is that they'll, they'll, a lot of times would have like a non-Jewish person present so that they could do certain, it was like a loophole for being able to do certain, certain tasks. They wouldn't be, you can, but you can't ask them to do it, but you would oh. like, so there's these weird, and because we were <laughs> technically not Jewish and we were, even though we were like trying to become practicing, there were certain things that like, they'd be like, oh no, we left the oven on and, and it, it, it's, it will, it will burn the food if we, if we don't, you know, shut it off. And they're not allowed to ask somebody who's in the process of conversion, just weird little stuff like that. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, th that, you know, to put into context, I was pretty involved in, and I was very deeply, deeply devoted for a certain period of time before there were certain things that I started to learn about that I was just like that kind of put me off from it but yeah that's what I wanted to ask actually like at what point did it sort of turn for you and you did you take on a different perspective uh, um it it was when a friend of mine had a son and they did their circumcision uh that was that was for me was like nope not down <laughs> so yeah. I was like no I'm not I'm yeah, because it's like you read about it and and it's kind of like, you know, it's 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 already when you're reading about it, it's like, you know, when you're and that's one of the things. And this is why I think discussing the topic of religion in general is important, because a lot of what we accept um, from youth as like religious, um, you know, injunctions and commands, we we do it because it's traditionally, you know, uh, thrust upon us. So, you know, things like circumcision are not, so that, that went from being part of just the Jewish world to the Christian world and, and, and beyond and, you know, the Muslim world and anything that's Abrahamic. So um, that's why I do think it's really important to, to really get to a, a point where you're not scared um, to question all of the tenets of, of, a, of a, a religion and going as far as you can questioning that. So, yeah, that was one thing for me that really like, I was like, wow, I, I can't. I can't actually do this anymore because it was just really unsettling to see how that that whole uh, ritual was done. And not just any circumcision, like the, they actually like sucked the blood off of the penis, right? Yeah, I wasn't close enough to like see like uh, to see entirely. I was like sort of towards the back, but it was it was performed from my understanding. It was performed in that manner. It was really disturbing. Yeah. So yeah, that was the whole, that was, and so, you know, but yeah, I was learning, I was reading Hebrew, you know, I was learning, I was, you know, uh, there were, uh, the first uh, apartment that I lived in, 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 in San Diego was a, a Chabad house. So it's part of one of the, um, you know, one of the Orthodox, um, factions or sects of, of Judaism called, um, Chabad Lubavitch or, um, yeah, Chabad, which is a, um, a branch that was essentially founded by um, a, a rabbi named Menachem Mendel Schneerson. And he was, you know, he was believed to be a messianic figure, that kind of a thing. Um, and I lived there. So I lived amongst some uh, Israelis. So I was learning even, you know, um, yeah, conversational Hebrew to a certain extent. Um, so, it, you know, I, I got pretty deep into reading the, the, the Bible in its original language. And I was there for like, it, it really involved for about two years a year and some change at the, the synagogue itself, um, about two years, um, where I was, you know, going every morning and every Sabbath hearing the Torah reading. So I had heard it through all the way and I'd read it through. I've, I've read through 
essentially the entire Old Testament. And I, I wouldn't say that like I read through it fully fluently, but um, a lot of the main points I, I've read a lot of the main, you know, quoted, you know, uh, verses from the new te- or from the old Testament that are referenced in the, in the, in the new Testament, stuff like that. So I, in, in its original language, I had a fairly decent grasp of the voca- vocabulary. It's not a huge, um, it, it's, I mean, like any other language, there's going to, it's the vocabulary is going to be pretty broad, but, um, it, it was, you know, I was, I was pretty familiar with a lot of the language of it. And so that was a huge, um, opener as to like kind of really being able to grasp, um, deeper aspects and more context within, within the framework of the, uh, of the, at least the old Testament that you miss a lot when you lose the linguistic, um, um, you know, uh, the, the linguistic, um, integrity of it when it's translated, you know? Yeah. So that was a huge part of it too. And so can we sort of flesh out just for people who don't know, like the difference between the old Testament and the new Testament? Yeah. So I think like it, and uh, it, depending on somebody's perspective, they, they, they may agree or, or they may issue some contention with it. Uh, so like the basis of um, Jewish belief is that, you know, for example, the main thing, the reason why Jewish people don't accept Jesus as a savior is they don't believe that any being can be God, you know? So like there's, there's the way that it's read is, is a big difference, right? So the way that a Jewish person reads the old Testament is, is, is largely, largely different than the way that a Christian person would read the Old Testament. And, you know, in retrospect, mostly because they're reading it from the perspective of somebody entering through kind of the doorway of the New Testament into the Old Testament, if that makes sense. So I'd say the biggest difference um, is linguistically, or uh, the language itself, Um, the Old Testament or Tanakh is written in... um, is written in Hebrew, obviously, and then the New Testament is written in Greek. So there's a linguistic difference, um, which means that there's going to be a cultural difference as well. Like um, when you look at, you know, even things like the word soul or um, subtleties of of how the soul or the spirit are even um, understood, because, you know, even, you know, even like with homophones, words that sound that have the same sound, but they mean something different that's kind of like a way that we use language to sort of, uh, you know, enrich our understanding of a certain concept. And then we're able to, and that creates analogy within the language itself. So you have certain, you know, analogical differences between how even the soul or the spirit or the body are perceived. So I'd say that the new Testament and old Testament having a different, a completely different language with languages that are, that really come from different sort of different roots are, that's one of the biggest differences. Um, and then mainly the, um, so you're going to see a lot of similarities, like, as far as like, I think that there are, there are astrological references contrary to like most, you know, Orthodox Christian and Orthodox Jewish perspective. Well, some Jewish people will acknowledge this. Um, there are astrological motifs in both. So that's where they're similar. Um, now their treatment of the astrological motifs or astro theological motifs may be different. Um, and also the cultural tribal religious aspect of it is different. In fact, that's even brought into question in the New Testament. So there's, you know, I would say that there's, there's, uh, in some sense, a summary of the differences and the similarities. The difference is if you're coming from a Jewish perspective, it's strictly monotheist. From a Christian perspective, one would read both um, as having that sort of, you know, the Trinitarian, there is such a thing as a God man, a man that could be literally 100% God, which is 
um, unquestionably um, a what would be considered maybe a pagan belief more so than a strictly monotheistic belief. Mm-hmm. So I think that's those are the main the main things and strict monotheism or even some might call henotheism um, that that Judaism or the Old Testament is actually more so a henotheistic belief system in that like it's that there's one God for us. And those other ones are smaller and less significant, but we don't worship any of them, which is actually, a, which is a henotheistic idea. So not necessarily um, monotheistic in the sense that, that most people would understand its, its belief system today. Gotcha. And so we're on the same page pretty much as far as the uh, astro, uh, astrotheology uh, type of thing going on with, with all of this. And, uh, you know, I'm... Uh, uh, I'm more obviously more new to it than you, and I, I can't articulate it as as well. And um, but I but I did also grow up pretty Christian. Like my my family was uh, you know believed in Jesus, and I I prayed and everything. And it sort of never really made sense to me, but I but I did it because I I grew up uh, that way. And at I just remember I hated it like. <laughs> Because <laughs> I was really tired when I went to bed, when I was about to go to bed, and I, and I'd be like, oh, I have to like, I have to pray now, you know. And I just realized after a while, like, or it was kind of a test. I was like, well, let's see what happens when I stop doing this. Like, if there's any difference, you know what I mean? It mm-hmm. it didn't really make a difference in my life. I was like, well, this is kind of fifty fifty thing, <laughs> you know. If I ask for something or or pray for something, whatever you do when you pray. But um, yeah, it just, it just kind of seems silly to me. And I, but I wasn't, you know, I didn't really know what to think about it for a long time. I, even, even when I didn't pray, I still like believed for a while. Um, And then, you know, I think it wasn't until recently I, I got back into it with, you know, you can even watch some of my common law episodes where I'm kind of questioning people you know like what you know what is the significance of the the bible and you know with the with common law and all this stuff and so i was i was kind of you know trying to figure out the the veracity of all that stuff um but i don't you know i now i'm i've come around and and realized that there's there's so much more meaning to to the bible and and religious texts and um I think it's so it's so much more deep and uh, unlimited. And, you know, it's it's kind of. I realized that it was I was right. It was kind of silly to take it literally. Um, And so with astrotheology, it's kind of it's very contentious because people argue that um, in the Bible, oh, it says you shouldn't uh, you shouldn't listen to to anybody talking about astrology and or any of that stuff. Uh, they, they talk about divination arts, but uh, d- divination is really, I think, related to fortune telling. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So I guess what what's what's your uh, interpretation of of uh, Jesus and astrotheology? I've I've basically learned that uh, um, everything is sort of related to sun worship and and like you said, paganism. 
Yeah. Um, so like in regards to like looking at the, at the, the Bible or the new Testament. So, so can, when, when you think of the Bible in its totality as the new Testament and old Testament combined, that's something that is obviously a later development of, um, a scriptural canonization. So like the, the Catholic church canonized the, the entirety of the Bible. Then there was other books that were there and then they were thrown out, you know, later, um, and they were, you know, the apocryphal texts like Estras and Maccabees, which tells the story of Hanukkah, stuff like that. Um, so looking at it kind of as like one solid book from the perspective of the church and onward. So like that to me is a very, um, is, there's a, a, a huge element of, um, you know, at least within the ritual of like sun worship. And then the book itself contains not even just sun worship, but just overall astro theological or astrological motifs. So, yeah. and then um, kind of to, to comment on a point you made as well, like when looking at the book and trying to understand, you know, see it as like a literal this, and that's like the only way to interpret it. I actually do think that there is more, it's, it becomes a more interesting and a more, more rich tradition when you recognize that the humanness yes. of it. Yeah, you know, and that there were actually a lot of now. This is I'm I I'm not saying that there is no spiritual aspect to existence, or that there's no. So I, I'm not saying there is no absolute truth, or there is no absolute morality. I'm just saying that that you don't need one book to find it. That's my you know right. No, it's quite the opposite. It. I think that right. we're, they're arguing. There's so much more. Mm -hmm. So much. And more. like I think yeah, the humanness of it, and like the the rich you know. The, the flaws of it are, are what makes it a little bit more interesting because then you know that there's, to me, there's more things going on there. Like it's not unidimensional. It's not just, oh, it has to be interpreted this way. And even a contradiction is a perfect contradiction. You know, like, yeah. it's like, well, it might shine light as to the conflict, um, you know, that was happening at the time. What kind of cultural conflicts were, were going on or what kind of socio-political conflicts were going on when they were trying to compile it. And then you, that, you know, which is another, I think like another, you could say that's almost like another dimension to the book itself. But so when looking at the, the, the astrological and astro theological um, aspects of it, um, I think that it's pretty apparent that um, m when you contextualize it with what was going on during the time period that the movement of, uh, even arose uh, of Christianity, um, this, it was very much, I mean, so understanding it within its original language, that's another thing, right? So you have just one small example, not even necessarily on the astrological, um, or astro theological point, but, um, you know, when it refers to the three different kind of Christians, and I can't remember the exact book in the Bible, but it refers to like the three different levels of Christian of Christians. And it's, um, I believe it's pneumatic, uh, psychic and uh let's see here yeah it's the psychic pneumatic and noose like the intellect the oh the body the the body the the soul and the intellect and there's so there's there's you know which in its original language what you would get a little bit more um you get a little bit more clarity on what's even being referred to there and those concepts are directly related to greek philosophical concepts of like the the body uh, you know the I think it is pneumatic, psychic, and so maybe yes, somatic. I, I'm I'm sorry, I, I I didn't like refresh on that, but basic you know just basic idea is that there are certain things that are linguistically like connected to specific, you know that have specific context, um, and that that's maintained and that's that's clarified with the language itself. So when you're looking at the the New Testament, which for me looking at the New Testament and understanding all the different different you know references like it it's 
it's there's clearly like an aspect of um at the time there's you can see like some of the gnostic influence of it and then it, of course it was being developed in in a jewish region so there is a jewish aspect to it as well but it was also like kind of hellenized jewish perspective so this idea of um you know the um god man becoming the the messiah as a as a um you know as a descendant of 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 the the kingly um bloodline of of david was sort of like a a, a syncretic um you know interpolation it was it was it was these ideas that they were being introduced to again because whoever the the israelites were there there's obviously like if you follow the the historical um or the the biblical story of it is that they came from aram which abraham was aramean or like which was like part of syria or babylon right or assyria and babylon and then was then taken out of that that um cultural context and then was it was created uh as like kind of like a sub tribe so it wasn't really a different racial designation as much as it was a tribe that was separated by its by its religious beliefs and then it formulated a familial you know specific you know uh familial bloodline that was really you could say racially if um from from this group of people in um I think it's Padanaram is 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 the uh, the original place where Abraham was uh, supposed to have come from, mm -hmm. um, and then so already you have a, a a kind of a blending of of religious beliefs and religious words, you know, like the names for God and the names for for the spiritual um, you know concepts already are are there's already some bleed over, but then you look at at like in the time of Christianity, you already have you have like the Roman influence, and then you have um you have the greek influence and then you have um the jewish influence kind of blending so then you have this you know this gnostic um uh sort of influence there but then you also have the the greco-roman um you know the greco-roman uh um what is it called uh you know um pantheon the the all the different gods and finding their their motifs which are always astrological and in and and to at least to a, a large extent so um it's a really big thing to try to uh to try to uncover and, and clarify but i think when you start looking at at the book it's it's pretty it's fairly obvious and then you start you know trying to interpret the the new testament itself without an astrological framework and then it becomes even more confusing and then and then you start yeah. to put to you know you put the motifs back in and then it, and it becomes pretty clear what's going on there you know yeah, it makes it makes sense to me, you know, even being more of a, a, a newbie than you. I mean, that was it just uh, it, intuitively, it makes a lot of sense. And I even talked to Steve Falconer uh, recently and, you know, he believes the same thing. I mean, that guy will tell you all about the like, you know, astrophysio, alchem alchemical dynamics of mm -hmm. of the, the Bible. Um, but and and one thing that really like you know, did it for me was seeing all the kind of mirrored religions uh, that also contain the same story. You know, I mean, this 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 story has been of the, the virgin birth, the resurrection has been uh, passed down from from other uh, texts that that predate the Bible. Uh, and so I have a list here that I'll, I'll just kind of pull up real quick. But so, yeah, so here are some of the son of God heroes who play the lead role in the stories which mirror those attributed to Jesus and almost all were worshipped long before 
Jesus was ever heard of. Uh, thank you, Jordan Maxwell, for this information. Uh, rip. Um, Krishna, Hindustan, Buddha. I mean, you can see the list. The list goes on. And I believe that they all have the virgin birth and the resurrection uh there's yeah there's there's generally like the yeah the idea of like virgin birth or some type of immaculate conception um mm -hmm. um then yeah like the the dying and resurrection and those are those tend to be um the the aspects that are that are overlapping there's obviously there's going to be differences um it's not going to be all the exact same thing but you know the core yeah. functions of 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 why christians believe jesus to be so unique um and being like the only way is because of this idea of virgin birth um dying and then going you know um descending into into hades or you know uh, which is again a, a, a greek concept like and then returning from or it, just in general that you know the 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 underworld and then returning um and then you have, but that you have that happening a lot. And I, I know that even another one, is it up there? The from, oh yeah, Osiris and Horus, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, there's even, there's even, you know, uh, a Greek historian named Herodotus. Uh, he was, he was um, an initiate to the Greek, the Greek mysteries, the Eleusinian mysteries. Um, and he, in one of his, you know, tellings of, of, of uh, what was happening in, in a, Egypt at the time uh, describes what was what they called the passion of Osiris, um, hmm. and the, the Eleusinian mysteries have the passion of Dionysus, right? So it's like this idea of like this this uh, sacrifice of a god sacrificing themselves to you know uh, to, to for as a retribution of for sins, or it may not even be like the exact you know it might it might not be the exact um, you know ethical framework or religio ethical framework as like dying for sins but that is that is to to a to a large degree part of the story as well so yeah you have like osiris you have um adonis which um adon was a phoenician god i think as well so i think it right here it says adonis as greece but also that's the adon is is the the phoenician deity as well so um yeah and and it's you know it's Zoroaster of Persia, and even in the Nag Hammadi scriptures, there's reference to Zoroastrianism. So there's some, um, there's definitely some uh, overlap. And then I don't even know is Mithra on this on this list. Uh, I was just gonna bring that up, but uh... yeah, Mithra, you know, Mithraism was actually yeah. on the rise around the same time as the the the, the Christian, um, you know, sect was was being um, established. So. You know, and and the Christian, the Christian um, belief system was far from like you know unified. It was definitely there was different perspectives on it, um, and it, it's one one out, and it just so happens to be the the Roman you know the Roman Catholic version. You know, it's like, and uh, it's like of course the winners write the history to you know to be that that's the only right one. I and and so like I think that there's like an idea that amongst christians when i say well yeah you know like there's a whole gnostic aspect of it that's being left out or a whole pagan aspect of it that i'm a, that i'm like 
then I'm trying to make the uh, implication that that the at the Gnostic aspect is superior or is is what I believe it's not I'm just saying that there's there's clearly no consensus like if you if you remove your you know your bias of 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 tradition that you have now and you take it back to the time you probably wouldn't give it the um you know the grace of 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 just assuming that that is the the most true version just because that's what we've um that's what we've inherited you know um traditionally so there was all these yeah there's all these different um you know god figures that that were like uh, that was you know god's son being um born of a of immaculate conception and and then dying and resurrecting after three days which is a, it's a solar motif you know the idea of like during during the um uh, the what is it the uh uh the winter solstice um the sun going down to its lowest point for three days and then rising again to begin its upward ascent into the into the spring months you know um Mm -hmm. right yeah and that was that was fascinating to me um you know just looking at the symbology of it all is really telling um let me open up some of that stuff but yeah you have you know all these pictures of the popes holding basically what looks like the sun. Mm-hmm. This is uh, Virgin Mary. Yeah, holding Virgin, a sun. Holding the <laughs> with sun. With its rays of light emanating, yeah. Right, which would normally be like baby Jesus in her arms, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you know, it'll be dismissed as just like, oh, it's just art. And it's like, but you have so many of these. You have so many examples. You have like this, yeah, like the Pope's staff, like it's like a sun. Um, yeah. And then you have like the, even, so even like when, with like astrological ages, you know, um, the astrological age of Pisces is like the, 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 the time of Jesus, you know, which is um, the, uh, the, the fish and, you know, the, the Pope has the fish hat, which also like, you can find hats that are similar to that, like back in, you know, I mm-hmm. think, right. Some of the Greco or Roman times yeah the 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 sunflower and the yeah it's on the cross yeah on the cross and you know the cross itself represents like the the the, you know like with the the virgin mary the cross the cross of the of the of the great the great cross of the of the the zodiac you know that's like that's a whole astrological concept itself you know and yeah i mean if you read about the hopi indians they were I mean, so rooted in in the stars, and they believe that they came from the stars and they will return to the stars. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and they, you know, their their mesas were aligned with Orion. Um, and I mean, you find this in in ancient cultures everywhere. You know, the Mayans and Aztecs they had um, they had uh, their their uh, pyramids, or they were aligned with Venus, right? Uh, some well, some of them like uh, they they faced Venus, so they could track Venus, I believe. So yeah, it is. What's that? I would say, yeah. There's always there's there's always a um an at least astronomical um significance to to these you know these these ancient um uh, the, the like the ancient um monuments and yeah constructions. Yeah, I mean it's it's replete through history. Yeah, which then um, kind of, uh, you know, so the, you have the you have the entire if you look at the the, mo- the, the entire motif of the others. Oh, yeah, there's the equal arm cross right there. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have the whole motif of the, uh, I mean, the haircut with the bald, the, the bald spot on the back of the head, you know, with the, and then you have the, um, the pine cones, the, no, the but, pine cones. and even on the bread, like what the body of Christ, mm-hmm. the wafers or whatever, I think they have that cross as well. Yeah, the disc. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like I mean, you, you either have to like think that it just came from nowhere, or like it comes from something. Like it's it's where all these shapes and 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 why can you find them f- forever? You know, like in human history, like clearly before. Um, yeah. You know, this is from ancient Sumer. You know, yeah, like this a- is that's a Sumerian. Yeah. Yeah. So it was obviously you know very important. Yeah. And then, so then you're looking at the New Testament and it's like, okay, look, read the, the gospels and, and understanding all these obscure references that happen. Like you have these obscure references with go to a man who's holding a, a, a pitcher of water and it's like, okay. And he will lead you into his house. And it's like, that's, that's, that's a, that isn't, that's an astrological story that's being told, you know? Yeah. And some people will say, oh no, it's, it's not, it's just, that's your you know, you're superimposing that on it. And it's like, okay like and i'm like and so it's like i'm not i'm not claiming that like that there is some like perfect order to it i'm saying that it was people writing specific codes into the into the books you know so then you have mark you know matthew mark luke and john yeah and then a similar um a similar you know fourfold uh um a fourfold uh you know symbolic representation in the old testament where even like ezekiel and parts of genesis refer to the 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 one they they have the figure who has the head of a man the head of a lion um and the head of uh what was the other one um yeah the head of a lion uh the snake or eagle is it um it's oh yeah it's it's the one who uh yeah it's the I have a note of it right here. Yeah, the, uh, so in Ezekiel and John, they, they describe figures that have the head of a man, the head of a lion, the head of an ox, and the head of an eagle, um, which are the four um, cardinal or the four uh, fixed symbols of the zodiac. You have um, Aquarius. Um, you have uh, you have Aquarius. You have um, which is the the what's it called? Um, Let's see which one that one is. That's the picture, right? Well, yeah, is is Aquarius the the one the the one holding the water pitcher? Yeah, the pitcher of water, I believe. Okay, yeah, yeah, yep. and then Scorpio being the the eagle, Leo yeah. obviously is the lion, and then and, mm-hmm. and then Taurus, yeah, mm-hmm. and and he's the man, the man holding the water pitcher. Because where I'm referencing that from is like, for example, is in the book of book of Genesis chapter forty nine where, um where Jacob slash Israel is blessing his children and they all get like certain designations and like, like you are, uh, you know, you will be afraid of water or whatever he says. So there's, there's some debate over, uh, over the other sons and what they represent, but the four that are like generally understood as being the fixed symbols are like, you know, Judah. Um, you have, uh, yeah, you have Judah, um, Dan is the serpent, which you have like the serpent and the eagle are the counterparts, which is why like the flag of Mexico has the 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 eagle holding the serpent, which represents, you know, um, uh, Scorpio. 
So you have, you know, Judah is a lion. Reuben is compared to the man, as compared to water, which would be Aquarius, a man holding a water. And then Joseph's um, two sons are, are the, the horns of the wild ox, which is Taurus. So, um, you know, stuff. And then, so it's like, this stuff is clearly in there. Like, it, it to me, mm-hmm. it's pretty obvious. It, um, and so, so the question is like, well, how do you understand this without that? It's like, it's difficult and it becomes it becomes a matter of like well you just kind of have to make stuff up like but you know and then there's even another idea that um and there's this book that that i've been reading for a while it's really dense it's called the um suggestive inquiry um to the hermetic mystery Mm -hmm. um and at a certain point um the author refers to um the christian tradition as a method of sort of giving like a a a, you know exoteric meaning at the outer circle the um, you know, a, a plain, easy to digest interpretation of these, of these, um, you know, hermetic or, or astrological or whatever you want to, however you want to um, categorize them, mo- motifs, and then making them sort of literal and easy to get, you know, so that you understand the basic morals behind it. That's what Christianity was. And I would make a distinction between, you know, uh, the the overall ethical lesson of Christianity and the overall lesson of the of the Old Testament or the general Jewish idea. There's a tribal religious aspect to to Judaism that doesn't exist in Christianity. Christianity is at least posed as like a concept that's supposed to be in um, universal and acceptable accepted universally. Whereas um, there's a, there's a very clear um, tribal um, the tribal ethics that are involved within, um, you know, the, the old Testament. It's like, we do these things. Other people could do other things, which it says all the time, the nations do this, but we do this. And so like the, the, the ethical or, and I, I don't, I don't, I don't really say that somewhat moral guidelines, which it's very, uh, very loose morals in, in the Bible, in my perspective. So like, for example, like the, um, the like the Ten Commandments or the the laws of of Judaism, like in 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 Christianity, the the um the motif that is being communicated through um you know like the 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 journey of of Jesus or the Son of whatever it's re- representing is supposed to take an astrological um an astrological cycle and attach it to something that's like a universally um relatable spiritual um journey that you go through from from your lowest you know your low your lower urges into into you know reconnecting with um you know your original purpose of of reconnecting with your divine you know with the creator who created us right and like going back to that and that's like the that's the universal aspect that is communicated through an astrological or astrotheological framework within the new testament and within sort of like um the you could say the symbolic christianity or because i wouldn't say just simply gnostic because there is like i mentioned before there is a certain level of there is a certain level of of um you know there's there's variance within within the the early christian community some of it um and and you know some of it interpolated more classical gnostic concepts like the demiurge and stuff like that and some of it was was influenced by that but didn't quite you know didn't quite go the full distance of, of, you know, taking on the entire cosmology of, of the Gnostic um, belief system. But there was still, there was still aspects of it that were Gnostic. Whereas within, 
you know, the, um, the astrological framework of the old Testament is a little bit less universal. And in my perspective, it's, it's more specific to, um, the, you know, the, the tribal significance of, of Israel itself. And, and, and the, what, the reason why I brought up like the, you know, like the commandments and stuff as like a kind of a, um, you know, to contextualize that is because when you look at the, you know, the, the, the commandments that are given, it's, it's like, it's always like, and this shall be for our nation. And, you know, the nations do this and we do this, or you, God saying, you do, you do these things and the nation can go and do all the, their, this and that. Right. So it's like, there's like a certain level of, um, there's a, there's a disconnect there. I think that there's a, there's a distinction that, that, that can be made. And, um, but, um, it, that recognizing that there still is, um, a function of the astrotheological uh, archetype that's being used. And my understanding of that is because humanity has been largely controlled when, when they don't know what they're being told, they take these, I think what happens is you take these icons, you take these symbols mm -hmm. and they just feed to the subconscious and then it, it keeps the program going. Yeah. Um, so like when you have like this exoteric interpretation, it's literalized, it's plain surface level and you see it as real, then you're kind of kept ignorant. And like, and that's kind of like the Plato's allegory of the cave, right? You think those images on the wall are the real thing. But meanwhile, there's, you know, there's the things that are, that are casting the shadow. And then there's the light itself that makes the shadow even, you know, possible to be cast. So it's like, um, I think that the, the astrological, um, archetypes that are used they just they're used and they're given to people and people are familiar with them because they're in everything and you see this in movies still they do this and i think that that's yeah. the that's that aspect of um you know um the occult or the dark occult or whatever you want to call it um being used against people the reason why it's it's subversive is because people don't know what they're being told and if you don't know what you're what you're um you know if you don't know what you're uh what you're taking in and you don't even understand it then then you don't then you're not really in control of your, of yourself. You're, you're divided within yourself, you know? And I, and I think th that's why the, um, you know, I think that's why the, the, there's that aspect is, is continuous between the old Testament and the new Testament and within Mithraism and Osiris and, uh, and all these, you know, religious, um, you know, cults that are used essentially to create uniformity within, within uh, a culture, um, and or uniformity that's that actually even transcends culture and it keeps people you know to a certain extent controlled and and you know roped into a to a a, a predictable way of living and being and yeah. i you know i think that that's the nefarious aspect of it i don't think it's all nefarious i think that you know you you kind of have to sprinkle a little bit of sugar in there with it otherwise people wouldn't even want anything to do with it but and and i think that those things that kind of speak to our soul within within um any religious uh institution or system uh, are actually aspects of universal principles of truth that we do gravitate towards right so yeah. it's like you have to you have to you have to make the poison palatable you know and i think that by knowing certain universal principles that actually are uh, liberating in and of themselves and then you sort of douse them in a really surface level interpretation story that keeps you in a cyclical ritual cycle um, that really ultimately then keeps you um, kind of enslaved, even just to the to the, you know, the temporal it, aspect of it. I think that's a, where it, it is a really like kind of ritual 
thing. It's it's so ritualistic. I mean, you you see the people who, especially the the literalists, you know, like how much of this is just like a ritual in their lives. I mean, they're like they're really obsessed with it. Um, a lot of the people that have kind of um, you know railed against me for making posts about this are are, are that way, uh, which is yeah. I mean, I've gotten all kinds of like nasty things slur uh slung at me um by peace-loving christians <laughs> which yeah. is really ironic um but yeah and i mean going back to what you said um occult just means hidden right and mm -hmm. um i think a lot a lot of this stuff they they misinterpret or they don't they don't look into because the bible tells them not to or like you know uh, because i have another opinion or another outlook on this it's like well you are in the clutches of satan sir you are yeah. not your heart is now it now belongs to satan yeah but it's crazy and if you look at yeah if you look at that the i think that the the primary function of that sort of thinking that keeps that relevant is groupthink. It's collectivist. It's yes. you're not us anymore. You're not part of us anymore. And right. it's like, oh, you're not. And and the us is defined by belief in this singular figure. It's just belief, right? Like it's like, and that's kind of that's started to become my my I don't know. That was like my I think my 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 red flag with it when I was like, well is an action evil or is it evil because because this figure said it's evil and if that figure is you know the creator of the universe well it's like it better come directly from that source then if you're saying that it does it better right. not come from a guy who's interpreting a book written by another guy that you right. just have to trust that it's like a perfect a completely perfect line of of um of of integrity you know going back to that so yeah. to me i think when you say well i'm not really so sure people are saying, well, you're questioning the creator of the universe. And I'm not actually, you. <laughs> you know, and, and, and the thing is, if you can't question it, how could you even come to, how, how can you even come to a, a clear understanding or at least an understanding of what it isn't? So it's like, yeah. I don't know what the creator of the universe is, but I, 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 I don't think that it's a, a small minded being that wants genocide and, um, you know, that wants slaves and that wants, you know, uh, all these kind of like things that are, associated with with cults not with to me with not with um you know a, a any type of like actual objective morality or subjective or, or objective truth in any sense so it's like i think that what keeps that relevant is that group think and um you know it's it's oh well you're not us anymore you're not part of you're not part of us you're not part of the fold anymore only the remnant will be will be accepted and it's like well that just to me sounds like it's another another it's the, it's really the original the original um you know groupthink is 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 yeah. religion and and it's like Absolutely. yeah i think that's what's what what can be so what can get so nasty about it you know yeah and they skim over they skim over the contradictions this might be a good spot to kind of bring up some of these i'm going to read these and i'll I edit them in um these are just some of the contradictions in in the bible there's um this is from chronicles 15:12-13 a promotion of murder in the Bible. Murder of non-believers. They entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with all their heart and soul, and everyone who would not seek the Lord, the God of Israel, was to be put to death, whether small or great, whether man or woman. Then there's murder of false prophets. 
If a man still prophesies, his parents, father and mother, shall say to him, You shall not live, because you have spoken a lie in the name of the Lord. When he prophesies, his parents, father and mother, shall thrust him through. Oh, there's an interesting, just on off the top of my head, I don't know the exact quote. It's a, it's a small, I, I think to some people, it, it's a small contradiction where like in the book of Second Samuel, it says, and then God... Uh, it's it's Second Samuel and Chronicles, where one of them says God uh, aroused the spirit, um, aroused the spirit to 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 do a census and to count the people of 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 Israel, and then the other one says Satan um, uh, put it in his heart to sense it to do a census of the people of Israel, and it's like one of them says God, and then one it's it's referring to the same event, but it's 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 spoken about in two separate books. You know, little things like that. God made him do it, but then the other one, Satan made it do made him do it. So I thought that I was I saw that one, and I always thought that was a really, um, you know, when when I was still Christian, I thought that was an interesting, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, like uh, an interesting contradiction that 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 I stumbled across. <laughs> okay, so then there's sec- sexual slavery in the Bible, Exodus twenty one seven eleven. When a man sells his daughter as a slave, she will not be freed at the end of six years as the men are. If she does not please the man who bought her, he may allow her to be bought back again. But he is not allowed to sell her to foreigners since he is the one who broke the contract with her. And if the slave girl's owner arranges for her to marry his son, he may no longer treat her as a slave girl, but he must treat her as his daughter. If he himself marries her and then takes another wife, he may not reduce her food or clothing or fail to sleep with her as his wife. If he fails in any of these three ways, she may leave as a free woman without making any payment. Yeah. Um. We got Zechariah 14.1-2 about rape and plunder. Lo, a day shall come for the Lord when the spoils shall be divided in your midst, and I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem for battle. The city shall be taken, houses plundered, women ravished. Half of the city shall go into exile, but the rest of the people shall not be removed from the city. Uh, there's a lot of wow in there yeah and so these are more so just like weird verses right not necessarily like contradictions um well i mean they con- for for me it's a contradiction to of, sort of, of overall like, message of the what the bible is supposed to be right yeah like yeah so i mean it so that brings in a question then like well can you know can things be, you know, can slavery be moral under certain circumstances, which I, I, I would say no, never. Um, right. But I would have to go supposedly above the authority of the Bible to make that that claim because it obviously it contradicts with the Bible saying, right? And there's another really um, weird, uh, there's another really weird um, ritual in the Bible that is, let me pull it up real quick. I think it's in Numbers chapter 24 five mm-hmm. um it is basically if um of a um if, if a, a man thinks his wife has um uh has committed adultery against him um then how uh how they're supposed to tell is that they make basically this um um this mixture of bitter water which is like uh from uh 
ashes that were, you know, spilled on the floor of the, of the, um, what do you call it? The, um, here it is. So it says basically, yeah. And so it's numbers, uh, five, uh, verses 11 through 31. And it basically goes through where, uh, the, the priest has to take holy water in an earthen vessel and then dust that's on the floor of the tabernacle and then put it into the water. And then the priest shall bring the woman who's being um, accused of, of, um, uh, adultery and then uncover her head and put the there's going to be like an offering of like uh you know like i think it's barley or something like that frankincense uh yeah frankincense or an fi barley and then the priest is supposed to have the woman drink the water and if her stomach swells and her legs rot then that means that that the accusation was true and if nothing happens then that means that she's free and that she that she's free to go and she didn't commit the uh um she didn't commit the um the 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 sin of adultery, which is to me sounds eerily like like divination and and magic. <laughs> uh, well, my my friend Steve Falconer made a good point. He said the entire book of Revelations is divination. Yeah, it's 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 <laughs> it's looking into the future and saying this is going to happen, right? And then using you know symbol to de- to describe it. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, and. There's also kill, kill the entire town if one person worships another god. Deuteronomy thirteen thirteen right. nine. Um, yeah. Uh, do I have more more slavery in Exodus twenty one two six? If you buy a Hebrew slave, he is to serve for only six years. Set him free in the seventh year, and he will owe you nothing for his freedom. If he was single when he became your slave and then married afterward, only he will go free in the seventh year. Oh, wait. Did uh, I read yeah. that wrong? Whatever. Anyway, you get the picture. Um, yeah. Yeah. So there's slavery in the Bible. I'm trying to find. There was one. There's another one actually in the, in the New Testament. Um, Ephesians uh, chapter 6, verse 5. So it says, um, servants, be obedient to them that are your masters, according to the flesh with fear and trembling and singleness mm-hmm. of your heart as unto Christ. Um, so the word there is in Greek is doulos or doulos, yeah. um, which is equivalent to the words for slaves. So it's um, servants who are um, be obedient to those that are your masters, according to the flesh. So in other words, those who are those who are slaves, um, be obedient and tremble uh, to them as, as though you would to Christ. Um, so either you just accept that and say, okay, well then we just have to accept that servants have to fear their masters, which, I mean, whether you call somebody a servant or a slave, it's still the same concept It's that this person is owned by another person. I mean, I don't really need a, a, I don't need a book to tell me that owning people is not right. (laughs) It was really funny. Somebody on Instagram asked me, well, where does your morality come from on abortion? If you don't believe in the, you know, if if you're not Mm -hmm. a christian and i was like well i don't need a book to to teach me you know morality that that's i believe that's inherent like people inherently know uh, right from wrong like behavior may waver right Mm -hmm. people's behavior can change they can make excuses for behaving poorly but they still know if they're sane you know they they know that like walking up to somebody on the street is and killing them is is wrong inherently Um, you don't need a book or some kind of manual to tell you that. Yeah. Nat- natural law, right? Yeah. And that's that. Yeah. You're, you, all you need is, and that's why it's like even the term, like your, your compass, your moral compass is compass, right? Like I've used this example before compassion. 
calm meaning with, and then passion meaning suffering to suffer with. So when you recognize that suffering is occurring to another being, using your moral compass, i.e., compassion, then you can recognize that you're not supposed to cause, supposed to cause suffering to other beings. So that's you know it's a simple it's really simple as that I think like yeah you don't even have to get into the whole twisty turning linguistics it's, of it but it's yeah strange like yeah i mean i feel bad for you if you think you need a some a book a manual to to tell you that right. it's one of my good friends asked me he's like i don't really get the that concept of nat natural law and, and i'm like well wh why do you you know what's the reason that you don't go up to somebody you don't like and kill them and i'm like is it because of code like a like a statutory code or or a, a book told you and he was like no I'm like, there you go, because you just know, yeah. you know inherently within you that that is a, the wrong thing to do. Yeah. And then people will say, oh, well, then other, well, some people don't think that that's wrong. And it's like, well, there's another person involved in that. And the other person who's involved is the person who's being, who's being, uh, you know, subjected to the, to the suffering and subjected to the, um, the pain or the, the theft or what, either of those two things. So then I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that the person, um, who is being subjected to the other person's actions who says, well, I don't think it's wrong to, you know, walk up and stab this person in the throat would, would, you know, would, uh, they would reject the notion that it isn't wrong. So you then have, you, you have two perspectives to put into, to, to account there. And there's, that's going to shine light on the actual dynamic itself, you know? So it's like, if a person wavers, like, as you said, if a person wavers from that, then it, then there's going to be a conflict and that conflict will, will require resolution. So you're going to have to ask that question and get to some type of answer. And that means that you're going to have to have some sense of differentiation. You're going to have to be able to understand that, which is from that, which is not. So you have to at least have some ability to identify and rectify, um, you know, truth from fallacy or right in any it's, sense so if you if you are st strictly relying on a book or a priest that has interpreted a book or a priesthood that's interpreted a book for you then you really don't have a moral compass because then it, you could say oh yeah my moral compass is that book and those people over there and it's like okay well when they shift then how do you know it's wrong well i don't you then you you may not say it but what you're saying is well i don't ne i don't necessarily know it's wrong because don't you know don't trust the heart is, is deceitful and, and wicked above all things you know um that's a, a quote from the bible you know it's like don't trust your heart it's the most de deceptive and wicked thing you know it's like <laughs> well i mean then what do you trust your mind you can't trust your mind you can trust your spirit well then how do you know that if you believe in jesus that you even really do so it's like, you know, there's just, there's, there's, I, I don't know. It, to me, it's like, there's, 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 an, there's too many issues with that. So it's like, yeah. and then another, you know, there's, there's the, the moral ethical issue of just accepting what this book says about it and then having conflict about it being like, I feel weird about that. That's like, was, that's not because you're rebelling against God. That's because you probably have a general simple sense of what right and wrong is and dashing babies of you know other nations who have a different religious system than you uh, against the rock because against rocks and and killing children because they're part of um you know a, a different nation I, to, I i don't know how that's like very difficult to understand you know uh yeah yeah i don't know um and then there's other there's other like you know issues on on contradictory um you know uh at least concepts so like 
when the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, people will often say, "Oh, well, that was proof that the Bible was is 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 reliable because they found, you know, basically they found a few scrolls of Isaiah, and they're like, oh, these are the same.' And it's like, well, that just proves that that book was maintained. Like finding a copy of the Quran, like from however long or back, or a copy of, you know, the, the Book of Mormon that was written, um, and then finding an older copier than you had originally, would just maybe change the timeline or but it doesn't necessarily prove the, the validity of the argument itself. But it's really interesting. They'll say, oh, we found these these scrolls and these scriptures. That's proof that, that the Bible is correct in and of itself. But then you find the Nag Hammadi scriptures, and it has the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Philip, and all these other Gospels that don't fit the synoptic Gospels. And that's, I mean, even taking away from the fact that all the, the four synoptic Gospels have all these have contradictions as well within them. But for some reason, the Nag Hammadi scriptures being found is inconsequential. And it, it, it doesn't, doesn't prove that, that Christianity is a, is a broader, um, um, a broader topic than, than just four books and, and a few books of prophets, you know? So it's like the epistles and, and then the, the revelations, you know? So it's, it's, a, it's, it's a mix up. And, and and that was largely what I started to discover as I started to read more and more. It's it's that I got less less clear answers. Right. Know? Yeah. You find a lot of unclear answers. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to share something really quick before I forget. Um, so this is uh, this is one of the people that kind of sent me really nasty messages. <laughs> I I had to share some of his. I mean, these are these are the people who are like, you know, so ritualistic about it and just like obsessively. Uh... I don't trust the Bible because it was written by man. Who else going to write it? A dog, a giraffe, the animals that Noah's on. You trust a cookbook that was written by man and you still make a recipes. Oh, you trust a cookbook that was written by man. <laughs> that's that, that's his argument there's some of his other posts i'll edit that in with better sound um i mean this and, is like look how obsessive this is yeah i you know and like you can say like you know maybe that's not the best that that's a terrible that's a terrible argument um yeah like the cookbook thing um but and so you might argue that there are other people who have like better arguments. Um, and there are people who are, who have at least more um, cohesive arguments in general, but uh, yeah, it doesn't, to me, it's like the core issue isn't even really being addressed. It's like, it's, it's not just, you know, like mm-hmm. it, it never does. It, it rarely does actually address the, the core, the core question. I don't know. It just, it's kind of like, you know detracts and or uh, diverts over to here and be like well so and so i don't know this is not a good argument yeah this is not a good argument and i you know so he told me that 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 the bible is basically the only text that explains any of this said imagine being so dense that you compare the truth of all human existence to a burger oh because i said like believing the bible is the only book with that information is like believing that uh mcdonald's is the only place that serves burgers and he didn't even understand that analogy really and he goes on to say sumerian text don't explain the universe the origin of god creation or the origin of man try again the emerald they attempt, of- they attempt to like all all 
all religions have a cosmology. All religions have, you know, a, a, a way of trying to explain why the universe rose from either nothingness or what it came from. Um, it tries to explain man. It's just a matter of whether it's a viable explanation or not, or, or what they're even trying to accomplish with the explanation. You know, is it, is it a, is it a, is it like, if you read like the Epic of Gilgamesh, it's a story of a man and they're trying to make, you know, uh, they're trying to make a point, but I, what I, 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 yeah, I just don't think that's a very, that's not really, I think that's that's a ridiculous argument. Yeah. It's not a very, it's not a very sound argument. And uh, the emerald of tablets don't explain the origin of God, creation, or the existence of man. Imagine being a fool. Mm. Everything you know is a lie, and your perspective either led to eternal truth or an eternal lie. It's either rooted in objective truth or subjectivity. Tell me what is truth. The truth is found in Christ. You're nowhere near truth if you think the Egyptian tablets prove objectivity. That's non sequitur. It, uh, I, I don't know. You said that Egyptian tablets prove objectivity. It's a, it's a matter of saying there are other texts or other traditions that have similar explanations and very similar explanations and predate it. Or and you know the emerald tablets arguably may may not be as old as as the Bible. That's a, that's a thing that people put into into the mix you know but there are i I mean they say that they they originated from before then but that it might have originated you know that that that's there it's it's there's it's questionable there Mm -hmm. to to some people would say um it it may be a a retelling of something that that was older but yeah you know these there are motifs that did predate you know the third century compilation of the or even the first century let's say that you know we go with the oldest um you know the q gospel which is like the when do they say the what the oldest manuscripts and that's still from you know 90 of the around they say say around 75 to 80 to 95 of the common era or after ad if you want to use you know mm-hmm. christian dating i don't know it's there is a lot of and this is actually something i wanted to bring up earlier i've mm-hmm. you know i've been kind of out of this uh you know debating religion with people for a while and uh, i don't really do a lot of debating with it still i mean you know, I have, you know, my, my parents like still bombard me with like these, these kind of similar arguments and I don't even really, I don't entertain it, but like, yeah, it's just interesting to me because it's, it's, there's been no new development since I, since 10 years ago, I stopped really yeah. being even really concerned with it. There's no, there's no new developments in the, in the arguments. It's the same arguments. It's the same, um, it's the same examples, you know, like the Josephus and the Tacitus. Right. And, um, and but here, here's my thing, though. It's like the non-arguments is what bothers. I don't I, I'm not bothered that you believe in what you believe in. I'm yeah. bothered that you don't have an intelligent argument. Um, I mean, you're they're, they're often mean and nasty and they're they don't bother to read any other text. They think they just stick to one. I mean, I guarantee you that guy hasn't read the Sumerian tablets or, you know, even really knows what they are. Um, you know, a lot of them are just really uneducated because they maybe they grew up in with with Christianity or, or whatever religion and they they just stuck to that. And that is the truth. And that is the way. And and there is nothing else. And mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not saying like, you know, even that I'm I'm right about this and that I know everything and these texts are correct. I'm not even making that argument. I'm saying that, like, 
you know, prove your claim. Mm-hmm. You're, you're making the claim about this figure called Jesus and this book called the Bible. And all I get are circular arguments like leading back to the source in question. Mm-hmm. So that's that's my main problem. And I'm not saying like uh, the Bible is bad or there's nothing good to be gained from the Bible. I have friends who are Christians and I'm certainly not trying to offend them. Um, I love all my friends, regardless of what they believe. And, you know, the best argument I think I've ever received was I had a roommate years ago um, and he was Muslim. And we, we sat around my kitchen table and, and we, we talked about this sometimes. And I told him, you know, man, like, I, I think that stuff's kind of I don't really believe in it. It doesn't really make sense to me. And and I asked him, you know, like, how do you how do you make sense of it? And he's like, you know what, man, I like I understand. And maybe it doesn't make sense, but it gives me peace. It gives me somebody to talk to. And at the end of the day, like, that's what I like about it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, all right, cool. Like, he's not he's not telling me like this is this is the way and you're wrong and, and all this stuff. He's just telling me like this is what it brings to the table for him. This is what it mm-hmm. does for him. And it does like he admits it, do, it might not make sense. And I mean, I don't you know, I think there's obviously issues with that, too. But that's that's the best argument that I've heard. Yeah, I've heard, um, you know, I, I think one of another one that I've heard that I'm like, it, 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 I, I can. I can have these conversations and be OK with walking away. I, I've gone through yeah. so many debates, hot headed that, that now I'm like, really like, no, I'm cool with just like we could talk about it and then go our ways you know um yeah. it's one of them is like well you know you can't ever prove anything fully you know there's always that like it's yeah. like that idea that you have to use logic to describe logic you know there's that certain circularity that that is you know involved in trying to even know what knowledge is in the first place with you know this the, the issue of epistemology and like which i think it, to me that's where um, retroduction, the idea of apophatic inquiry is really powerful because then you, you can sort of see it from the other end of that coin. It's like affirmation through negation. So it's like, you know, the, the idea is like some people will say, well, you know, that's just, that's my starting point, you know, and you know, you know, I'm referring to, um, uh, that, that everyone chooses their starting point. And I think that is true, like to, to, to a large degree that, you do have, um, you know, there is that idea of that you ha- you choose your axiomatic grounds and you go from there. To me, the best way to do that is to choose the axiomatic grounds that has the least problems, you know, mm-hmm. not none, but the least. And that's, and I think that um, if you're at least trying to do that, well, then you're on, you're on the, you're on the, to me, you're on the right path. You're on, like, because nobody knows everything. That means you're always going to have a blind spot. And so right. to me, it's like, I recognize there is an absolute truth. And I recognize that there's an objective truth. That doesn't mean that every single thing I say is hundred percent aligned with that all the time, but I am trying to get to that. That is my goal. That's my aim. And it has been for some time, you know, and I, of course I'm not going to get that right all the time. So that's, that's why, cool. so it, you know, in summary on the, the, the whole perspective of all this, it's like, I'm not saying Christianity is false and come over here. I have the, I have the full answer. I'm saying it's not, I, I am not convinced at this point. Yeah. Right. And generally I bring up these concepts and these, um, you know, these kind of these issues or not even sometimes issues, but just the interesting, um, I think, you know, enriching aspects of looking into these other, um, you know, these other angles or other, you know, branches 
off of, of philosophies um, to, I offer the conversation for people who have already asked that question and, and who are, who want to go that, that, that route. And, you know, I, to add some context to it, because I think there's a lot of interesting things that you can learn about yourself. And there's a lot of interesting things yeah. that you can learn about everything when you start going that route. And so I'm not saying, Oh, well, I have the thing that is the alternate. That's perfect. I'm saying that mm. the more that you look that the bigger, the bigger, the picture gets. And, and, yeah. and sometimes you, you do stumble across universal principles that really become clarified. Yeah. Um, and if you're going to stop at the Bible, then, you know, why not stop at germ theory? Why not stop at, you know, NASA's version of cosmology? Why not, you know, all of those things. Why? And what's so frustrating to me is that there's really, there's really smart people who question all of these other things, but then they stop short at, at the Bible. They don't, you know, it's, it's sacrosanct to, to continue to question. And not yeah. only that, but they, some of them stop, stop others from questioning. Like, you know, these people on the internet are stopping me from questioning, from, from evolving in my thinking and, or and at, at least more. attempting to. Yeah, of course, man. I mean, I just, I'm not I'm not tethered to any one thing. Like for me that's that's not hard for me. I don't I don't I don't understand that. Like I'm so um uh willing to kind of drop anything and and continue on in my exploration. And I if if there's just one thing that I that I want to espouse to people is that like please do that <laughs> with with everything. You know, I'm not here trying to like, you know, throw you in the into the clutches of Satan or or anything like that. Um, I just want you to question. I want and if you if you put in the work and you continue to question and you still end up at the same point. Cool, man. And it, it doesn't matter what I say. You can go to sleep tonight and still believe in Jesus or whatever you believe in. But but do the work and and keep on trying to grow keep on looking for new perspectives that's you know that's what i want to do with with this show all the time and and me personally yeah and um that you know cuz that was my whole that was my whole journey you know is that i started you know digging into the books that were interpreted for me oh well those books are evil so you don't read those so yeah. i was like oh maybe I, you know maybe i should maybe i should give it a give it, give an eye to it and see yeah. What's... And I think the, those books are not like we've talked about. It, they're not inherently evil, right? They're just misused. A lot of times. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and I wouldn't even say that any book could ever really be inherently evil. It's a, it's a book. I, you can maybe, you may say that, that it, it contains within it various levels of, of, you know, principles that are either harmful or not harmful, you know, like, and I think that when you come ac across each one, every sentence is founded upon something. Every sentence has some type of, um, you know, some type of basis that 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 sentence has to be established upon. And that's how you further the context of every sentence and then establish bigger ideas. Now, that goes for every sentence. And that means that goes for every idea that goes for every concept. So then if you're able to, you know, um, distill it to its 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 basic and its fundamental, you know, principal claim it's fundamental claim it's fundamental axiom then you're able to then you can then you could at least accurately identify whether it's viable or not and so um you know to me reading any book is going to be that process it's going to be a process of yeah. you know 
identifying the line of logic where where does it seem that their axiom is 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 rooted in what what what's being implied through this what's what worldview is being um you know is being implied like what's the result of this worldview what could be the result of this worldview where does it lead what does it come from um where's and then following the lineage of that like okay well is this the first person so then looking at the time frame that that person lived in, is this is this person the first to think that or did they come from a, a bigger school that thought that and where did they learn that from you know and then yeah. following it and t- uh to me that's that's a much more uh, enriching method of study um, than than always having to tether it back to this one source book, you know. Yeah. And it's like, and people are like, well, it's not just the book; it's God, God, God Himself. And it's like, well, if you have to, if you have to by require, if you're required to then say, but as per as per spoken of by the word of God from this one book, then the book is more important than the figure in, in my perspective. That's what it says to me. If you're like, oh, at the, the true word of God, and I'm like the true word of God, the living word of God, which you can access in any moment through your intellectual capacity, through your emotional, you know, your emotional uh, signals and through your physical, you know, all to me, the word of God is the living word of God, right? And then you have that concept of logos, which is again, a, a Gnostic concept, which is, which Jesus is referred to as the logos in the first chapter of John. Well, to me that, that you, you don't, if that needs a book, then the book is more important. And I, I, to that, that right there to me is like why I'm like, I, I just, I don't, I don't worship a book. I don't worship any book. And I don't think any yeah. one book is, is the only way I, and I, I think that there is, I think that there's a singular truth that everyone, you know, that we're trying to achieve and, and distill and get closer to, but I don't, I, you know, it's, it's, it's the, um, I don't know the, the, the truest sense of, 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 in, of the negative um, connotation of the word religious, you know, religare, to bind, to tie back, to hold, you know, so you can say that there's like a positive connotation of religare to bind or tie back to the truth or, or to bind and tie, to tie and hold you back from, from, from progress, you know? So I, I think that when you bind yourself to anything, that is less than that's that is a specific thing then that's a that's a, a then you then you're 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 stuck in a in a in an eternally subjective or relative uh an infinitely relative or a, a circular um you know process that's not really gonna you'll, you'll never really i don't think you can get anywhere with that or you're not gonna get anywhere you're not gonna get super far with it at least right because you're gonna be running around in a circle um and I mean, there's something to be learned from from all of these texts and and sources, and you know, even the the Kabbalah, which is like it's like like even if it were evil, right? Like, why wouldn't you want to read what the evil people are are reading? You know, what they truly believe, because they obviously have access to to shit that we don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, like the Kabbalah is really often associated with with you know lucif dark luciferianism satanism but uh you know it's got a lot of numerology in it uh, it doesn't mean that that text is inherently uh bad mm-hmm. you know numerology there's probably something to it if you depending on what you believe about the nature of the universe yeah um yeah and they they well, certainly believe that so why not kind of find out where they're coming from mm-hmm 
And yeah, now I'm not really even of the mind that the Kabbalah or any of this stuff is really just evil. And that doesn't no, mean that I, I pick it up and I read it and then I follow it. It's like, that's the problem is people are so unidimensional. It's like, you're either with it or against it. It's like, that's, well, that's, well, it isn't the source of the universe. So I'm not, you know, I'm not really, it's not really contingent upon what the Kabbalah as a tradition says or doesn't say. It's like, when you look into it, then what you find is there are billions of people who have who have accessed the knowledge that the Kabbalah has, and they've done billions of different things with it. And really, those billions of different actions are kind of just different uh, fundamental, um, you know, either divergences or alignments with actions that are either harmful or not harmful. So, you know, it's like, I, you know, th that's that's to me the 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 frailty of that of that perspective of things, you know, like, uh, and I, I think that if you look at any book and you say, I follow what that book says, then the evil in that is that you have basically foregone your responsibility to make decisions and you yeah. foregone your responsibility to use your thoughts, your emotions and actions to actually align with anything truthful or moral in the, in, in the first place. If you're like, Oh, I, I, I follow that book. Well, it's like, well, you've, you've then, you know, you've, you've put yourself on autopilot and then now you're in the hands of the, whoever's interpreting that book and its commands. Absolutely. hundred percent agree. Yeah. Um, so I want to go into some stuff cause I know we're, it's getting late here. Uh, but, uh, some of the main arguments, maybe, uh, talk about Josephus that's, that's brought up a lot and, oh, yeah. um, maybe like, uh, the genealogy that we we're talking about. Oh Yeah. Yeah, those are kind of those are some those are the two of the bigger ones. Um, yeah, like the the so like the for if anybody's not really familiar, like one of the most frequently quoted um, uh, contemporaries of the time of the the supposed time of of Jesus's life and death and resurrection um, is the that quote from Josephus. Um, and Josephus was a, a Jewish like historian um, and writer, right? So um, in his Antiquities, um, uh, chapter 18, verses 63 through 64, he says, um, and this is often quoted as like, oh, this is proof. And I think it was uh, written in like the, like the year 90 or so. Um, so share if you want. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, so let's see here real quick. This is just from I'll just I'll just read it actually I'll just read it out because I, um to to keep the the argument of the the person whoever's article this is their their argument whether for or against I'll just read out so this quote was given um is given as like a uh oh well it's proof that that Jesus lived in and that the Bible is 100% like the New Testament is 100% reliable here's proof and it says uh, from from antiquities. Now there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonders, a teacher of such man men as receive the truth with pleasure. He drew many after him, both of the Jews and the Gentiles. He was the Christ. When Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men among us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at the at at the first did not forsake him. For he appeared to them alive again the third day, as the divine prophets had foretold these and then thousands other wonderful things about him. And the tribe of Christians so named from him are not extinct to this day. Um, so the general idea is that, so a lot of people think that there are some parts that were added in later and then that, you know, then 
by Christians to try to make, you know, a better argument for, for the um, validity of, of the new Testament. And then other people say that the entire thing is, um, is, is a, is a forgery that entire segment. Um, I personally think that the entire thing is not trustworthy. If you can find something that's so fatally flawed as a person perfectly confessing his belief that Jesus is, is in fact God in human flesh and then had died and risen and he is indeed the Christ. But then later in his writings, never having ever um, professed Christian belief after that. I think that at, at least the, 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 that, that segment is, it's not reliable. So like whether it's, oh, well, they added this section and this section and this section, it's, it's, it's kind of, uh, it's a, it's, I don't know. It's a, it's a, you can't really figure that out. Um, so there's that whole issue. Um, yeah. I get a lot, um, people telling me about the shroud, uh, and I guess oh, the shroud of Turin. Yeah. And there's eyewitnesses. Uh, mm-hmm. those are some of the arguments. Yeah. But eyewitnesses, they, they say like, oh yeah, well, three women witnessed it when a woman's testimony was considered useless during that time. And it's like, well, three women's testimony was given in the Bible itself. You're trying to prove that thing. You can't refer to it as it's, as this, I say you can't refer to it, but it doesn't make it for a great argument when you don't find a whole bunch of corroborating evidence to saying, oh, these three women saw this thing happen. And there's all these other stories, these guys, personal, you know, family history says this, you know, and it just doesn't, it's not really there, you know, like it's, it's a logical it's, fallacy if you're going back to the Bible. Yeah, it's 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 not. Yeah, it's not. You know, it's not a it's not a sound argument. It's not really. And then I think Tacitus is another one that's quoted. Um, and Tacitus was also around. He was. I think he was a little bit before um, Josephus. I think he was a little bit older than him. Um, and that one is. I think that one also um, talks about the crucifixion of Jesus. Um, And then it talks about the fires of, you know, the fire of Rome or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't know. My whole thing with that is that he's primarily referring to the story that was in, let me see is the time period that he lived in exactly. I don't want to give the wrong time period. Um, So, yeah, so let's see here real quick. Yeah, so he his his um his book was written actually it was actually after Josephus, my mistake. Um and it was written about 116 AD. Um Yeah, so I think that it refers to things that were happening around that time, right? So it's like, it also refers to the Christian church. And it's like, nobody's debating that there wasn't a religion at the time that was formulated on these, on this idea. It's the question of whether that actual thing literally happened or if what they're referring to was a myth, a a, a, a literary tradition that had a specific spiritual message or if it's like an actual thing well so far we only have two references to it one of which being 116 years later i mean imagine trying to trust the story of somebody giving like pick somebody random kobe bryant imagine some like trying to like really really get a 
deep understanding of Kobe Bryant's life and only having two quotes about him, you know, besides like one little book that is like devoted to his life. And then you have outside of that two quotes about him, you know, and then, and then you have a whole bunch of people who like loved him, his fans and stuff, but it's like, but you really don't have like 116 and 90. Like those are the time periods, you know what I mean? Like generous, you know, like, that's in they say the temple was destroyed in like the 70 the year 70 um so it's like it's i'm not saying it's a complete disproof you got nothing i'm just saying like it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty thin thread to to try to hang on you know so yeah. it's like you've written about 100 years after his birth or at 70 some odd years 66 70 years or 66 plus six, whatever um 82 years after his birth um, it's, you know, if it's 116, I think that's math, whatever, correct me. I'm not great at math and off the flight like that, but regardless, it's, it's just not a great argument. So I think that these are some of the really common things that people use as like, as if it's just like, oh, there's a nail in the coffin right here. You know, Josephus <laughs> said it and Tacitus said it. It's like, well, they talked about there being a group of people, apparently Josephus proclaimed in great detail, every single necessary aspect of the, of the, the Catholic creed. Um, for some reason, he just included every single aspect that any Christian would would need in order to prove that the the perfect, you know, argument for for Christianity was there. And then this guy who basically talked about there being a story about this guy happening. I, and so those are two big ones. And then the the, ge- the genealogy, which you mentioned. Yes. So basic idea is in Luke you have a genealogy of Jesus. It's going from Jesus back to Adam. So it's done in a reverse chronology um from the genealogy that's in matthew so in the genealogy in matthew uh, it goes from david to jesus um by way of joseph um the the father of jesus which by the way wasn't his father so um how that's that's kind of like a a, one of the 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 issues with if if he if Joseph wasn't Jesus's father, then how did he inherit the tribal lineage, which that's the way Jewish people inherit tribal lineages through their father. Um, they inherit, um, you know, um, citizenship, so to speak, of, his, of Israel's citizenship through their mother. So a, a, a Jewish father has to marry a Jewish mother. Um, but if a mother uh, of a child is, is of the tribe of Israel and the father is not, that child is still an Israelite. Um, but they would be considered like kind of like a, you know, a, a, a tribalist child, so to speak. Um, or they would be in, join, uh, join in with the, the, the mother's father. But um, so if, G, if Joseph isn't the biological father, then how does, how does he establish kingship? That's a question. And then I wouldn't say again, like the, these aren't things that I'm saying are 100% proof that it's not. It's to me that represents an issue with the story that is makes it hard and makes it unconvincing. Um, So you have a chronology of Jesus going all the way back to Adam, but then you like, if you meet up at David and then you add all of the, um, the, the generations together, and then you look at the, the, the family lineage from David down to Jesus, which would, which is attempting to establish him as the King through the line of David as prophesied by the right, by the, 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 prophets in in the old testament um well there's a couple issues one of them is that it goes through um one of solomon's children who is um who it says none of his children could ever sit on the throne um 
but somebody says, oh yeah, well he, there was like an, there's, there, there are people try who try to like, you know, sew it back together and say, oh, well, there was an intermarriage here. And that's why it's, uh, but that's assuming another thing that they're just assuming. Um, so basically one of the, one of the problems is that it goes through a, a, a child of, of that says that no, none of his children will, will ever sit on the throne. Um, and then the other issue is that there's an additional 15 generations between um, David and, and Jesus um, in the, in the book of Luke through the same family line that goes through, then goes through Joseph. So one of the common arguments is, oh, it's, it's, it's giving um, the uh, maternal lineage in the book of Luke. Um, and it's, but it goes to J Joseph. It says Joseph, then son of, of, of Jesus. And, and somebody says, oh, well, Joseph is the son-in-law of Heli, who is Mary's father. So it's like, well, that's irrelevant. I mean, the, the, why would the son-in-law, the son-in-law is not the son of the father-in-law, you know? <laughs> That's so that's one of the the attempts to to sew that that huge hole up. Um and then the other one is yeah, is 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 included in that, which is that it's Mary's lineage, which again wouldn't would not qualify him for um kingship if first of all, if it goes through uh, one of the one of their children that was and I think it's Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, I think in Hebrew it's Zerubbabel. Um but so there's, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of issues with the, with, with that genealogy. So if there's 15 additional generations, even if it goes through another child, well, there's, and then it meets up, there's, there's a big time gap that you would have to fill in there. So that's, that's already giving it way too much. Um, so yeah, those, are, I think those are some really big, um, common issues that I think that I found that those are some of the ones that I found that when I was like trying to figure this all out, that like really hit me. And I was like, whoa. Yeah. You know? Didn't you, and didn't you mention uh, to me the other day about 15 kids just uh, appearing in the genealogy? Oh, it's the 15 generations. Yeah. That, oh, okay. That are, yeah. Okay. That are, there's a 15 additional generations between David and, um, and Jesus and Luke in comparison gotcha. to okay. Matthew's genealogy, which is, it's a big period of time. Okay. Like unless those yeah. kids all had, a baby within their first like 10 years, five, 10 years of their life doesn't make sense. You know what I mean? Hmm. Like you couldn't fit that many people, that many sons. Then this person had this son, this person had this son, 15. That's a pretty big gap in time. And somehow it just truncates into the correct time period for, you know, for the family line. I mean, it's just, it's a, it's an issue. You know, I think it's a, yeah. it, it, but it's not an issue if you understand that it's a, it's a, it's an, or it's a you know it's an allegorical story being told absolutely that's yeah. that's how you know to me that 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 rectifies it because it doesn't need you don't need it to be perfect i don't need it to be perfect to understand some of the messages here i understand it as an, an astrological and spiritual allegory that's trying to teach a certain lesson and that's you know you know there there are other things too like you know like the the mistranslation of certain words and and like you know the, the uh, one one that comes to mind is another one is um a really common one is uh you know the three sons of of the prophet Isaiah one of which being Emmanuel and the, that's quoted as proof that God would be with born in human flesh and it's like well that's that means that God was born in human flesh to the prophet Isaiah this as well because that the he had three sons that were prophesied to be born during his lifetime in the book of Isaiah Sher Yashuv um Maher Shalal Hashbaz and Emmanuel or Emmanuel 
Um, and those are all three sons that were born to Isaiah that represented three different stages of what was happening during his lifetime. One of which was that they were, um, they were getting plundered by um, the Babylonians. And then the other one was that God would be with them and that, he, and that, that a remnant would return, Shear Yashuv. Yashuv means to uh, um, um, will return. It means he he will return with a remnant. Um, so that was representing the exile and returning of people of the Israeli Israelite tribes back to back to Israel. So that's one of the that's one of the things that's like that's kind of a, an iffy one. But if you understand it as like a poetic device, God with yeah. us, Jesus representing that God is with us, with us by aligning with that which you know then it's easy to understand it from that perspective but if you try to understand it it's like oh no he was literally god born with us well it's like well then that means that isaiah's son was also god that was with us because Immanuel doesn't mean god with us it means god is with us you don't have an is you if like i i've made the argument before that like you might be able to say god that is with us would be like a a way of of saying the god that is actually born in human flesh and with us you could say like imanushael like sha meaning that is um so it's it, it's you know there's there's a problem with that and then there's also like the issue of of when they refer back to the book of isaiah that it, and which is the same thing and behold the 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 virgin shall bear a child so that means that also if that word that's translated as virgin is in fact does in fact mean virgin that means that isaiah's wife was also a virgin the virgin shall shall bear a child and his name will be emmanuel right so that's kind of like the virgin birth quote but it's the word betulah which means young woman um there is actually a word for virgin in hebrew and it's um or no it's betula means uh, virgin sorry it's alma which just means young woman um if it wanted to say the virgin it would say betula which which means the virgin if it was if it, if they wanted to say young woman who is just a young woman who is pregnant it would say alma which is what it says in hebrew so you know that's that's a you know there's a word for virgin and it's not just young woman you know it is virgin and if it wanted it to be virgin, then it would have said the word for virgin in Hebrew, right? But it's not a problem if you understand that it's an allegory. <laughs> right. So yeah. it seems very obvious to me, man. And I mean, I mean, this stuff makes my head spin. So but but uh, yeah, all I know for sure is that uh, that's what it is. And it's not to be taken the way it's being taken, <laughs> in my opinion. Um. What is it in your understanding of like the root of all these religions? Um, you know, where did they come from? And would you would you agree with the I mean, I like I did a little bit of digging on like Judaism and kind of essentially found that it doesn't exist. <laughs> um, like ancient Hebrew is essentially ancient Phoenicia, right? Um, what's your kind of perspective on on that? Yeah, so um there was a book that I read, um, and it was, it's called the Atlantic Celt. Um, and it says, um, you know, it says, uh, I can't, there's like a a subtext to the name. I can't remember exactly what it was, but, um, the Atlantic Celt, um, is it in the basic idea of the book is, is this an actual group of people or, or is it like a, a modern invention? So, um, the reason why I bring that up is, that I think that that's a really interesting, when you read that book, it kind of shines light on uh, how 
this has this has happened multiple times. Kingdoms um, oftentimes are created, and the people or the cultural group is created as a result of the kings or the the ruling class yeah. unifying a group of people that is their territory, and then creating then um, retrospectively uh, a cultural tradition. Um, so as I've been able to kind of put this together, I think that that's exactly what did happen. And it probably happened, um, maybe, you know, a couple centuries before, um, the common era or uh, BC or BCE, um, that there was a group of people that were essentially just like a sub group of, um, yeah, like Phoenician or Canaanite, whatever you want to call them, people that were that established sort of like their own tribal tradition. And it was put together retrospectively in the same manner um, that uh, many, you know, religions were put together. They say this is they here we are. And I think that it has something to do with the King Hezekiah. And then that mythology of I come from a from a divine king named David was actually interpret it was it was superimposed into history and that's and then and, and then and since then has been you know they've attempted to try to squeeze that into history and i think that's why you have such a hard time of finding uh the hebrew people in in egypt and so they'll be like oh no it was the hyksos tribe oh no it was the canaanites but they it's because it's because i in my honest opinion they didn't exist until some time shortly before the um before the the time of jesus even and I would say, I think, and don't, don't hundred percent quote me on this. Like last time I remember it was around 550 BC, um, which was, I think the time of, of Hezekiah, uh, I think it was King Hezekiah. Um, and he, um, so born 741 BCE is what, is what it says. Um, I think maybe around that time period, somewhere around that five, six hundred, seven, it, it which, um, I don't know, give or take, whatever. Um, or maybe it wasn't, it might not have been Hezekiah. Maybe I'm thinking of someone else. Um, this idea that, okay, so it even actually goes through, uh, um, it actually explains this. And I think it's in the book of Chronicles where um, it says, and then they came across a book of the law and it says, uh, you know, the Sefer HaTorah, like it comes in, in which they had forgotten about for generations. So it's like they found this book that they didn't know about and they never knew about it since then. And then he reestablishes the religious tradition that everyone's forgot about in, until that time that everyone forgot about Moses and everyone forgot about it. And it is what it, it sort of implies that everyone forgot about this and that they were acting as pagans and this and that because they forgot about what, because they had, you know, you know, rejected their lineage. And I, for me, when you look at like the, the history of it, it's a mess. And the reason why is because there's not really like a, a consensus history of the people. So I, I don't think that it's, yeah. I think that it was established somewhere around that time. And then it loosely, you know, um, a loose tribal um, uh, mythology got more and more consolidated. And then by the time of Jesus, it was highly consolidated into the Pharisaic um, rabbinic tradition that became the ultimate, um, uh, you know, determiner of what even what biblical sources were relevant. So like a lot of times people say the rabbinic tradition is, is, um, secondary to the to the written torah and and my my way of understanding it is that it's a lot more clear that that was like the them compiling it and sort of 
in the same way that the church compiled and canonized the Bible that through the Talmud Bavli, which is the Babylonian Talmud and all that, mm -hmm. that they were then compiling through the oral tradition and the, 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 the rabbinic tradition, they were kind of establishing their, you know, socio religio political, um, system at the time. So that's, that's that in a nutshell is how I sort of understand the, mm -hmm. the Jewish tradition itself. Um, and, and which kind of bleeds over into and there, into and there was also from what i read there was like always like mass conversions going on and forced conversions right to other religions i mean like i did a little short on uh sabotage zevi and the the sabatian frankists and you know the the sultan didn't like what they were doing so they he basically gave him a choice to convert to islam or die uh i mean there was a lot of that going on too right yeah. so it kind of modeled things up yeah and like and from so many different angles because there were so many different you know there is you know that time i wouldn't even really say honestly that that the the modern world operates in a less religious um you know theocratic fashion i think i just think that the religion um the the religion of the states change and right now it's dollar bill dollar bill scientism or you know um you know the the Darwinian mythology is now kind of like the thing, right? Which is like the Aquarian myth. It's, it's the scientific cult. Um, yeah. So, sure. so I, I, at that time, though, yeah, there was a lot of that, and and the tr tribal religious warfare was humongous. I mean, that was, I mean, Constantine. You know, he had a vision that Jesus came to him and said, "Conquer in my name." You know. Um. So that was there was. It's not like that was a rarity. Yeah, that was definitely like a big part of it, right? And so, yeah. which is another thing is that I think that um, if you look at what was happening at the time, there was like Mithraism and, and Christianity were were kind of troubles. They were they were they were creating a lot of troubles for the for the Roman rule. So, um, I think that the the you know the the tactic was create the religion, um, uh, you know, canonize it and sterilize it so that it is more beneficial for us and and then you know use that indoctrination as a way to sort of get things reined in unify the you know unify the the empire um under a shared goal a common goal and here we go again with the you know this collectivist thing you know and it's yeah and and it's it, you see parallels of that actually um when you look at like um chinese history with um there was, you know, the, the, when, when China decided to unify, and I've seen, there's a couple of movies that I watched that are Chinese movies and really, really good movies come out of China, actually. And it's actually a shame what, what's, what's happened to every nation, because mm. um, you see this, this trend where things, they have to unify under the name of whatever it may be, you know, under a ruler or a religion, and then everyone has to kind of become the same. And then they have to follow it and then they become a cult, whether it's a spiritual cult or just a social cult, you know, and I think that that uh, it was basically the controlled opposition of its time. They took this this group of people who were sort of finding in a certain sense, there was a lot of conflict, but a lot of them were finding, um, you know, spiritual and physical liberation um, that was contending with the ruling class at the time. And I'm not saying it was uniform and that it was it was stamped out because there was this one group who was like this like mythological hero group. I think that that spirit was alive at the time, and then they had to kind of get rid of it by unifying it. And then they just you know it was Mithraism versus Christianity, this versus that, and Roman, and then he adopted Christianity, and then it became the state religion. 
And then it's like, well, yeah, but Christians were being persecuted. And it's like, yeah, they were um, because they were questioning the authority of the, of the, of, you know, of Rome, of, of the ruling class. Um, Do you think that's happening now too? That's why they go so hard? On, on religious persecution of Christians? Yeah. I think that it happens for a few reasons. I think that like, I think that it just, it's going to happen um, because there are, there is kind of like a spirit of moderate spirit of rebellion against, you know, the things of the world within Christianity. And I think that it does, there, it is used to keep, keep people. Yeah. Like they're, they're kind of trying to stop that because there's like, you know, a lot of the conspiracy so-called conspiracy world has like a Christian bent to it. Yeah. And I think about like keeping that under control keeps, you know, is like their way of sort of keeping things under ropes. But also it's kind of like a, di a dialectical manipulation because also keeping people kind of, you know, they make movies about about like demon exorcism and Christianity. So they sort of imply that they are the opposite of Christianity. We are the opposite of the Christians. And this 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 perceived opposite is sort of what keeps people in this this slingshot back and forth between, you know, whatever New Age Satanism and then Christianity, New Age Satanism and Christianity. And I say yeah. Satanism as they may not necessarily be worshiping Satanism, but I mean like um, satanic in the sense of the word, not the figure, Sa Satan as in adversarial and in in inverted. Um, so I think that by presenting it as the opposite of Christianity, it keeps people sling slingshotting back and forth. So I think that's another tactic of it is, is keep keep Christianity somewhat viable in the eyes of the mainstream. It's a, it's a somewhat viable religion. We still use their book in our courts and we still, because it's kind of like, you know, wink, wink, we're, we're afraid of that book. You know, that's a scary mm -hmm. book because it makes people afraid of it. It keeps people afraid of the book. And then it keeps people under control because they are also tied in with all the priests and all the, all the religious institutions that are keeping people controlled and, and, yeah. and you know, look under the thumb of the religion itself. And look at those institutions, what they're involved with. I yeah. mean, where is all the pedophilia, you know, where yeah, is all and, that shit going on? Yeah. And, and it's not just, oh, well, it's because the you know, communists, they were infiltrated. It's, it's been going on in these institutions forever. It's like, and it will, because there's that power dynamic and there's people with just there. I don't know, man. I'm, I'm not really a big fan of the whole thing altogether. Having like a, a, a priest class, a bishop, a pastor, this, yeah. the, and that you it's go weird. to, and, and they, yeah. I, and, and even at a regular church, like, no, I, I, it, I it's, it's eerie. Like I don't, yeah. and <laughs> if, 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 and so like people are like, Oh, like, and people use that all the time. They'd be like, Oh, well, Hollywood hates the Bible. And it's like Hollywood uses that dialectic because that's exactly what they're supposed to do. It's that's the, that's the, the Christianity is kind of their, <laughs> their opposite, you know? Yeah. No, they use it at the same time. They, they promote it in certain ways. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, yeah, that's my whole, that's my take of, of why it's, it's marginally persecuted in some, some places in the world, uh, like outright violently persecute. And it's like, like some Muslim countries or, um, you know, in China or, you know, other, there's periods where Christians are murdered and, and, but there's a, but I mean, the Tibetan monks were also slayed, but does that make their religion true? No, it doesn't. It means that it's a problem. It's a it, it, uniformity is going to squash anything that's, that's getting in the, in the, in the way of its, of its totalitarian grips, you know? Yeah. If there's so, anything that causes more wars and, and death in the world, it's, it's organized religion. Yeah. I mean, I don't think anybody can deny that. 
Yeah, and I would say that that extends into mo- government is a ritualistic religion. It is entirely, and it and, and it bears all of the all of the, um, you know, the, all of the trappings of of divine, um, you know, divine retribution, and um, there is a divine aspect to it. There's a reason why they put their hand on on a holy book, and they, you know, that's not because they respect that book and they're afraid of it. It's because it's an icon. It's an icon that people will associate with divine retribution and divine judgment. So if we are the people that rule and we rule with this under our hand, then then you should be afraid of us. We were chosen by this, you know, and 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 that's and that's actually part of the New Testament. Oh, obey your leaders, obey the law of the land. Oh, how convenient, you know. <laughs> yeah, all good points, man. Well. I hope that, you know, maybe uh, was food for thought for some people. And, and uh, you know, I hope it gives people pause and, and uh, an interest in, in looking into some of this stuff more. And yeah, you know, again, always be always be be seeking for more information and uh, and uh, what the absolute truth is. So I hope uh, I hope people can can gain something out of this episode. And uh, I know it's, you know, it's so complex a thing. It's so, uh, so much information. I mean, to even cover in, in uh, such a short time. But um, yeah, thanks, man, for the insight. I think that was uh, pretty good. Yeah. And I mean, as I always say, people are welcome to, you know, after listening um, you know, hit me up and and get into the you know get into the 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 details and you know pick apart some stuff. If yeah, we got to get you to on the a best debate. of my ability. We got to get What's you that? on on some kind of debate episode or something. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> we'll talk. <laughs> we'll talk about it. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. But you know, to the best of my ability, I'm been a lot busier these days. But I try to you know have conversations with people when it's especially touchy subjects like this. Like you know, but at the end of the day, I'm not gonna not speak on something because it, it's because it might af- upset and offend people but i'm also not yeah. just out here trying to piss people off you know what yeah I mean? so that's a message that that i do like to you know clarify so yeah that's a good point i'm uh definitely not not trying to to offend anybody or you know but it but it's it's frustrating when people are offended by you know me looking for more information i'm not yeah. uh not up to anything nefarious. Just uh, just doing what I always do. I'm not. I'm not going to not speak on something because it's uncomfortable. I'm not going to not talk about something because it's a contentious issue. I mean, what what's the point? What's the point mm-hmm. in that? You know, you got to talk about everything. Nothing is off limits. Yeah. So. Uh, so thanks, man. Appreciate you coming by again. Yeah. And um, look forward to talking to you again in the future. The information presented in this program is not intended as legal, health, or nutritional advice. It is provided for informational purposes only. Alighton does not endorse nor accept responsibility for any statements, views, or opinions expressed by its guests.